Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. Yesterday football wasn't super great, but I mean, you know, besides that, um, we'll just act like that didn't happen and keep moving. But uh, but I'm glad you're here this morning. It's lovely, you know, lovely weather day for us uh, this morning. So um, thanks for coming out in spite of the rain and all that. I trust the Lord has something for all of us this morning. What we're going to be looking at is a pretty, you know, specific, particular focus, but but as God's word is, it's supernatural, and, and God can speak to all of us, so I hope you, you came expecting God to do that. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24, we've been working our way through this book of Genesis, sort of, um, seeing various family portraits along the way. I mean, obviously, we've been skipping um, quite a bit, and we're not actually just going to stay in Genesis, but the bulk of this study is happening out of this book. But looking at these individuals and individual families from different perspectives on what God can teach us in our families today. And today, um, we're going to have one for the singles. Today, we're going to focus on the singles and we're going to learn God's perfect plan for dating. So we started off this series, the very first message was God's perfect design for marriage. Um, And this is God's perfect plan for dating. So this is sort of the precursor. Uh, at least for us and for our culture. And so I, I, I want you to know, though, that again, I think we have something a- applicable to everybody today. Uh, certainly our parents and our grandparents, I would like for you to pay particular attention because you need to be in a position to help your kids and to help your grandkids find the right person for them. You want them to marry well, I'm sure. And what we're going to go over today will help. So this family portrait that we're going to see is good relationship advice overall. But like I said, I do want to look at it from that specific angle of, of dating relationships this morning. Because in Genesis 24, we see the story of Abraham sending his servant off to find a wife for his son Isaac. And, and in that story, we see a picture of dating done right. Now, obviously in our culture, you know, we don't have, culturally, we're not a culture of arranged marriages. So what we're going to see today is basically a story with Isaac and Rebecca of an arranged marriage, but the principles we're going to look at certainly do absolutely apply to our culture. And even though I say that, I kind of start there that you know, what we're going to look at today might be considered an, an arranged marriage. I, I do want you to know right here from the beginning that Rebecca absolutely had a choice. And we're going to show that to you when we get there. That's actually an important piece. I'm mentioning it now because it's an important piece to the overall picture that we're going to look at. Because Genesis chapter 24, along with Genesis chapter 22, are, you know, I think maybe, maybe it's even probably definitely the greatest two chapters in the entire book of Genesis with respect to typology and picture. Uh, they are incredible. From Genesis chapter 22 to Genesis chapter 24, um, with the bookends being the main ones, incredible in all that they represent. And so I'm going to try to illuminate, illuminate that for you today before we're all said and done. Um, so we're going to, you know, we're going to be very, very practical and very, very simple um, in God's instruction for us with respect to dating relationships. But then we're also going to paint an overall picture 
of why this is important. And so we'll kind of try to wrap all that up for you at the end. But before we get into our specific study today, let me try to bring you up to speed on the Genesis narrative. It's important kind of to understand from a picture standpoint, it's important to understand all of this. So we've, we've talked about some, but I, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. So back in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abram, Abraham, that he was going to make of him a great nation and that all nations of the world would be blessed through his seed. In Genesis chapter 12, we saw that in verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. <clears throat> and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. But Abram was 75 years old at, at, at this time when he gets this promise. And it, and it appeared from you know, looking through physical eyes that time wasn't on his side. So in Genesis 16, he and his wife Sarah, they took things into their own hands. They tried to help out the Lord. And in that attempt to help, they messed everything up. We talked about that in some detail over the course of two sermons out of Genesis 16. But then as we saw last week, Abram changes, God changes his name, gives him a new name, Abraham. And we see he's trusting the Lord, he's placing faith in what God is going to do. And guess what? God did it. Imagine that. God did what he said he was going to do. But it didn't happen until Genesis chapter 21, which was 25 years after the promise had been given. So in Genesis chapter 21, we read this in verses 1 through 3, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. So the, the promised son finally comes. The, the miraculous birth you know, because of their ages. But then, as we know, we, we talked about this some last week. One chapter later, you know, maybe, maybe some, you know, 13, 16 years later, God tries Abraham's faith, asks him to sacrifice Isaac, this promised son through whom this great nation is going to be born. But, but this was something God was asking of him. So Abraham was willing to obey, to sacrifice Isaac for the Lord, Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 and 10 said, And they came to the place which God had told of him. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But I think for the most, of us, most part we know the rest of the story. God stops him, and Abraham doesn't have to go through with it. He was testing his love for, for the Lord. He was testing his faith. He was testing his fear. Um, Abraham proved his faith, proved his willingness to do what God asked him, even in times of, of great difficulty. Um, you know, God provided himself that lamb, according to Genesis 22.8. And then in Genesis 23, the next major event in the narrative is that Sarah dies. So that's really what Genesis 23 is focused on. Genesis 23.2 says, And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn Sarah and to weep for her. So Abraham's wife, Isaac's mother, passes away and, and they bury her. That's, that's what Genesis 23 is focused on. And the whole point of Genesis 23 is the putting away of Sarah before the calling out of Rebekah. All right, the putting away of Sarah before the calling of, out of Rebekah. Now we're going to come back to that 
before we're finished this morning. But that's an important point to remember. I don't want that to just slide past you. God's timing on everything is perfect in his word. And as we, as we study Genesis 23 through 24, that's an important piece there in the middle. Because coming out of that burial, or the putting away of Sarah, we land in Genesis 24. And Genesis 24, it's, you know, it's kind of time to get the show on the road. Abraham's old, and he wants to find his son a wife. This is a necessary component to fulfill the promises of God. Isaac wasn't going to have a child on his own. And what's interesting, you know, at least to me, there's, there's many things interesting in, in this chapter and these chapters surrounding it, but one of them is that Genesis chapter 24, it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's 67 verses long, all devoted to telling the story of how a man got his wife. And it's certainly a beautiful story, but, but so are all of them, right? I mean, so is the creation story, and Genesis chapter 1 gets 31 verses. But I believe what I will show you this morning is that the reason Genesis 24 gets so much ink, it goes back to where we started. This chapter and the pictures in this chapter paint the most important love story in the history of mankind. And I'm going to show that to you before it's all said and done. And Now, we have a lot of ground to cover. This is 67 verses in this chapter. We're going to go through the entire chapter. But... But know that because of that, we're, we're certainly not going to cover everything. We could spend multiple, if we were studying the book of Genesis, Genesis 24 would consist of multiple sermons, multiple weeks. We're just hitting the highlights. And I'm, again, I'm just trying to I'm pull out some very practical elements of, of dating relationships and then, and then paint the overall picture. Um, so that's kind of how we're going to attack it. So let's, let's get into it and let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. We're going to read the first nine verses of this chapter to start. Then we'll go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into our, into our study. So Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. The Bible says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again, the Lord God of heaven which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and this swearing to me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee. And thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if a woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Uh, you'll be free. You don't want to worry about it. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning this matter. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then, then we'll get into, into our study. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you for the beautiful picture um, that's in it that we're going to see today. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that you use this in our life. I pray that you use this um, certainly in the life of our singles and, and, and those that, are, that will be looking to get married, that they'll take this very practical advice to heart 
that us as parents and grandparents, Lord, that we'll be prayerful for our children and, and, and who they marry. And, and, um, and Lord, that in all of it, that we just see you and your word in, in an amazing light um, that, that it truly is. And so, Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word today. I pray that it is honoring and it's glorifying to you. And I pray that you use it in our life as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in the verses we just read, uh, we see that Abraham sends his servant on a mission, right? And the mission is quite clear. Go find a wife for my boy. Go find a wife for my boy. This is the mission. But it can't just be anyone, not just any woman. There are some specific qualifications that she needs to meet in order to be fit for Isaac. And in this initial initial commissioning of Abraham's servant and the the qualifications uh, for the wife-to-be of Isaac, we get some great practical instruction on who and what we should look for in a mate, whether you are male or female. This is God's perfect plan for dating. And here's where it starts. When it comes to finding the right person to marry, it begins with using the right counselor. It begins with using the right counselor. And the right counselor... In this story was Abraham's servant, right? We just talked about that. This is how this chapter begins, by Abraham working with his servant to find Isaac a wife. And it's important to note that Abraham's servant goes unnamed in this chapter. All 67 verses, we never get his name. But in Genesis 15 too, his name is given. And his name is Eleazar. In Genesis 15 too, it says, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Eleazar was the steward of Abraham's house. He was his trusted servant. And the name Eleazar is a compound word. El means God. Eazar means aid or help. Right? So we have El equals God. Eazar means aid or help. And that gives us some insight in, as we begin to lay out the overall picture. Because what we learn from the very beginning of this story, and again, this is very important to where we're going, is that Eleazar is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Eleazar is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He is the helper God. He's the helper God. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And this picture gets to why Eleazar goes unnamed in this chapter. God does not want us to miss it. He's the unnamed helper. Jesus said it this way in John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You see, when the Holy Spirit is on God the Father's mission on behalf of the Son, he isn't going to speak of himself. He's all about the Son, pointing people to the Son, pointing Rebecca to Isaac. There's some foreshadowing in there. But Eleazar, he's a picture of the Holy Spirit, and when it comes to finding the right mate for you. The Holy Spirit needs to be your trusted counselor. You see, for major decisions like this, we can't trust ourselves. We need to trust the Lord. 
Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, a very popular verse, says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It's exactly what Abraham was doing. He was trusting the Lord's provision of a wife for Isaac through Eleazar. Because back in verse 5, Eleazar says to Abraham, hey, what if I can't find one? What if I go there and nobody comes? Do I need to go back and get Isaac and take him and then he can pick one out? And Abraham tells him no. He's like, listen, if that, he says down in verse 8, if that doesn't happen, you're clear from this oath. But, but he says in verse 7, listen, I'm trusting the Lord that it will. Because look at, look at what he tells him. Genesis 24, 7, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Under thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Abraham made it very clear that he trusted that the Lord was going to provide. And listen, we can trust that too. We don't have to, and in fact, we should not manufacture something on our own especially when it comes to something like a mate. Listen to what Proverbs 16, 9 says. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And this verse is very enlightening, specifically when it comes to dating. Because there's this crazy little thing called love. And when it comes to love and infatuation and stomach butterflies, and all of that, we tend to lead with our heart. And we think with our heart. Proverbs 23, 7 talks about that. And from our heart, we come up with a plan. A man's heart deviseth his way. The problem is, we can't trust our heart. Our heart's wicked. Jeremiah 17 tells us that. Verse 9, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We certainly can't even know our own heart. It's the Lord that searcheth the heart's what verse 10 says. Only God knows. We can't know all that's going on in there, especially when we're love blind. So you need a counselor. And listen, in this book right here, you have 66 true counsels right here. And when you spend time in this book, God, the Holy Spirit, the helper, can lead you. Even when it comes to things like dating. Because it's, he's the right counselor. And this is the right counsel. John 16, 13 said, that we read earlier, says he will guide us into all truth. That's the one counsel and the one counselor that we need. Because it's the right one. So moms and dads, that even means you should start praying for your children's spouses now. If you have young children, start praying for them now. Don't wait. Begin seeking counsel today and relying on the right counselor. But then the second piece of God's perfect plan for dating includes understanding the right constraint. Again, these, these points are super Super simple. We're not going anywhere deep today until we, until we get to the picture. But we need to understand the right constraint. This one's very simple, very quick, but very important. Because when it comes to finding a mate, your first consideration should not be who is right for me, but rather who is wrong for me. 
Who am I constrained from dating? And we see this principle in verses 3 and 4 of Genesis chapter 24. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country, into my kindred, and to take a wife unto my son Isaac. Abraham did not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. And Genesis 24, obviously, for, for those of you that know anything about the Bible, Genesis 24 predates the law. But God kept this commandment in for the law and during the law. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy wife. And verse 4 gives us the reason why. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. God knows the danger of having an intimate relation, relationship with someone that has a different view of God than you do. So we see this principle before the law. We see this principle during the law. And guess what? We see this principle after the law as well. This principle is found in the Pauline epistles and is therefore applicable to us in the church age. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 15. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And in the New Testament economy, this is just biblical separation 101. This very clearly means that a saved person, someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, should not get into an intimate, connected relationship with someone who is not saved. And there's broad applicability for this principle. You know, I mean, you can apply it to business. You can apply it a lot of ways. But the obvious and most relevant example is dating and marriage. Listen, our, our marriage is to be the most intimate and connected relationship we have with another human. And by the way, if you're married and that last sentence does not describe your marriage, then, then shame on you. But that's another message. But when we're getting married and we're trying to determine, we're dating and trying to determine who it is that we should marry, we don't want to mess up the picture of marriage by joining Christ to a harlot. You see, God does give us a constraint. Don't date a lost person. So for all you singles out there, all, all of you, you know, we got, we got most of you here, right, you know, through the, through the, through the front, front areas here. Um, this is where you need to start. Because if you do date a lost person, you're just asking for trouble. And I know some of you will come back and say, listen, but I know so-and-so, and that, they, they started out that way, and they got married, and, and it all worked out for them. And so you all might have an example of someone that did this wrong, and it worked out. Well, well, praise the Lord. But that's just an example of God's grace. You're to do right. 
Don't abuse God's grace and expect it to work out for you. No, instead, just obey the Bible. The Bible is clear. So that's the constraint. That's what we're not to look for. But next, we now need to turn to what we are to look for. Because unfortunately, just because someone is saved, that doesn't automatically qualify them as a worthy mate. There is a little bit more that you should be looking for. So next, let's look at the right candidate. Let's look at the right candidate. And when it comes to the right candidate, I'm going to give you the spiritual qualities to look for. All right? So if, if you want to set any physical qualifications, that's between you and the Lord. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not walking into that area with you. I'm going to give you the spiritual qualifications, and there are a couple that you need to look for. And back in Genesis 24, we see the right candidate appear very soon after Eleazar sets off on his mission. So let's go back to our text and pick it up where we left off. So we'll pick it up in verse 10. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia and to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. You see, Eleazar's a smart dude. If you're looking for a wife, you need to go where the ladies are. That's the first step. So, so let me give you a little pro tip here. Fellas, if all you're doing is gaming with your bros, I mean, good luck. But, you know, I think you're going to struggle finding that, finding that special someone. So verse 12, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto thy master. So we're, we're beginning to see a picture of who the right candidate is. It's someone who's willing to give water. And, and someone that's even willing to go over and above what's asked of her. Let's keep going. Verse 15. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. The damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water out for thy camels also until they are done drinking. And you got, you got to consider, like, so... Camels could travel, you know, camels can travel long distances without drinking. But when they are done with that travel and they need water, they drink a lot. And there were 10 of them. So this is a lot of water to get till they were, till they were done drinking. Now verse 20. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering... At her held his presence to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Okay, so, so here she is. 
And she's the right candidate. There are a couple qualifications that we see with her that make her the right candidate. Listen, I'm going to be very simplistic, and I'm not going to try to overcomplicate this. Um, I, I just want to give you kind of the picture from the Bible. First of all, she did exactly what Eleazar prayed for. She gave out water to him and his camels. And then the second characteristic we see of her is that she was a virgin, that she knew not man. And that, that gives us the definition of virgin. It's not just a young woman. Okay, so here's, here's the picture we see of the right candidate. It's someone who loves the word of God. Let me give it to you in that sentence. It's someone who loves the word of God. Because, again, I'm giving you spiritual qualifications here. Because water in the Bible is a picture of God's word. We've talked about that many times. I've given you this verse many times. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Water in the Bible is a picture of the word of God. So, When you're looking for a mate, you're looking for someone who's willing to freely give God's word over and above what's even asked of them. So first, here's what that means. First, it means they're ministry-minded. It means they're ministry-minded. That's the first quality of the right candidate. And then second, there's a second quality that we get out of this. And second is they should be doctrinally sound. So let me explain that. But they should be ministry-minded. They should be doctrinally sound. because, And I say they should be doctrinally sound because Rebecca was a virgin. And a virgin is someone who is pure, like the Word of God. Because as Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So the right candidate is someone who understands the pure Word of God, rightly divided. Now listen. I'm not saying that they need to be some theological genius. I'm not saying that. Especially if you're young, you're going to have limited knowledge. That's okay. But I don't believe you should date someone that thinks that they can lose their salvation. I don't think you should date someone that believes in a limited atonement of Christ that was only for his elect, who he chose out of his own sovereign will. I don't think that you should date someone that believes that speaking in tongues is proof of the Holy Ghost in you. So you don't have to be a theological genius, but should be doctrinally sound. You shouldn't just settle for anyone. You should want to be with a saved person who understands good doctrine and wants to serve the Lord in ministry. And listen, if you find that person, that's a good one. Listen, I'm I'm pro-marriage. And I'm pro-marriage because God is pro-marriage. Now, if you don't get married, obviously there are, there are people that don't get married. And, and, and there, Paul talks about people that have that gift. And if you have that gift, praise the Lord. Go serve the Lord with your life without all the constraints that come with marriage. But what we all understand, you know, th- that principle you see in the Old Testament as well. But, but I think what most of us understand at least is that's not most people. God made marriage. He made it out of his goodness. He, he, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. There's, God had a perfect plan from the beginning. We talked about that in that, first, that very first message. So there are people that God designs to say single, but that's the exception rather than the rule. So we, you know, unless you think you're that person, man, it's, it's okay. Don't let someone tell you that it's, it's not good, to, like it's a bad thing that you want to get married. No, it's a good thing. 
Because God says it's good. God made it good. That's a natural desire for most of us. So if you're a young person in here and you desire to get married one day, well, praise the Lord. God's put that in you. So, but, but you need to make sure that you're, you're, you're focusing in on who that person should be. Don't just settle for anyone. Now, you know, again, you want to be with a safe person? Good doctrine wants to serve the Lord. That's a good candidate. Now, you can put any other qualifications on there that you want. That's up to you. I'm just giving you the picture here in Genesis 24. And the truth is, I do think that, that sometimes we run the risk of trying to overcomplicate things and buy into this worldly philosophy of finding my soulmate, someone that's perfect for me. There's this one person that is perfect for me. And so we put together this long list of that perfect someone, that, that gal or guy that you read about in Hallmark cards and see in Hallmark movies, and they're romantic and handsome and beautiful, what, all of it. And they're the one and only. The only problem is they don't actually exist. That person isn't alive on this planet, let alone in Tuscarawas County. <laughs> your, your list just describes Jesus. And he's at the right hand of the Father, I'm sorry. I mean, we're all trying, but we're not all him. None of us are him. And, and, and by the way, if Jesus is the only person that qualifies on your list, do you, do you think you're a good candidate for him? Like, like... Have you compared yourself to that list? I mean, let's say you find someone even close, like, you know, someone that meets most of your qualifications. You wouldn't be good enough for them. Maybe you should keep looking. But hear what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have a list. No, a list is a good thing. Have a list. I have one for you. I think they should be saved. I think they should have solid doctrine. And I think they should want to serve the Lord in the ministry. Start there. Now listen, maybe you want to add some specifics to prove out those bigger points. So maybe in order to know that they understand good doctrine, you, your list may include that they've been discipled or they're being discipled. Good. And, and to prove out that they're ministry-minded, your list may include that they actually attend church and they attend life group and they're involved in ministry activities. Well, well good. But those big points are the important ones. That's what you need to nail down. And, and if we fall into this worldly concept of just like, you know, there's this special someone soulmate. And I'm not, I'm not even against like this, this concept of soulmate. I mean, doctrinally I am. That's a whole, that's a whole different argument, discussion I don't want to get down. But, um, but from, a, you know, from a practical standpoint, the way we would define it. But God does that. If you try to do that and you try to find that one, good luck. You're never going to find that person. There's always going to be something, and there's going to be problems. God has to be the one that knits your heart based around a common mission. That's how God does it. He, this is how he puts it together. So, again, you can add whatever you want, but those big points are the important ones that you need to nail down. Because at the end of the day, again, if you have the right mindset, understanding marriage is about the mission, we talked about that in that first message, God will take care of the knitting and bonding of your hearts. Listen, Jennifer is absolutely, undoubtedly my best friend. 
And I don't know how I could love her more. I don't know what I would do without her. But that is only because God has been faithful to us because we tried to keep the main thing the main thing all these years. Neither one of us are anything close to perfect. If you know us personally, you know that well. And we easily, very easily, could have ended up just another statistic if we had been selfish and followed the world designed for marriage. But God has done something, I believe, very special in our relationship because in the midst of all of our failures, in the midst of all of our selfishness at times, we've remained ministry-minded in that relationship. And we've made the mission the focus. And, and God's knitted our hearts because of it in a way that I can't even explain. So we see the right candidate. Hey, we see the right candidate, but how do you find that person? Well, to find that person, you need to take the right course. You need to be on the right course. You see, there's a biblical path to finding that special someone. And it starts where Eleazar started in verse 12, and that is very simply with prayer, Genesis 24, 12. And he, Eleazar, said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. So listen, if you guys are looking for a mate, start by praying. Start by praying for it. God knows what you need. If you're going to get God's best for your life, you shouldn't. You can't just go out and pick for yourself based on what you think is best. No, you need to ask the Lord. And then you listen when that right counselor starts talking to you through this book. And then you need to be the person we just described above. Because praying alone isn't enough. You need to pray in faith. And praying in faith is not just throwing words up to God and believing that he's going to answer them. That's not praying in faith. Praying in faith is praying while showing God that you have faith in him. And you show him that by how you live. Are you in a place where God will hear and bless the prayer that you lift up to him according to his word? Or are you just trying to manipulate God? And that goes with all of our prayer life, whether it's finding a mate or not. So much of our prayer life is just about manipulating God to get him to do what we want him to do. No, that, that's so off. That is so wrong. No, we are, need to be people that pray in faith and we prove our faith to how we live our life and, and, and ask him things according to his word. Because otherwise, just trying to manipulate God doesn't work. You need to be in the faith, involved in the mission. You need to be on that course. Look at verse 22 of our story, where we left off. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel of weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold, and says, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? She said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And this next verse is key, verse 27. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy for his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. See, Eleazar said, I, being in the way, the Lord led me. And that statement is beautiful. So if you want to find the right candidate, get in the way. 
And that kind of sounds counterproductive because all you will do is get in the way. You need to get in his way. So you need to get out of the way by getting in the way. Make sense? Yeah. You need to get on his path. You need to get on his mission. You need to get involved in what God has for you to do on this earth. And guess what? He'll lead you. He'll even lead you to the right person. But you need to be in the way. And the way is living out the truth of God's word. This is a very simple cross-reference study here. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto them, unto them, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. Well, we also know that speaking of Jesus, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus, the word of life, according to 1 John 1, 1. So we are in the way as we live out the word of God as we are involved in ministering God's word to the souls of men. And that's the right course. And guess what? If you're on that course and you're praying, you're likely to find the right candidate on that course with you. And you're going to look up one day and notice that that same person keeps showing up to the same church events you do. And on this day, she looks a little prettier than normal. Or he's a bit more handsome than you had previously noticed. So pray and be in the way and God can lead. Otherwise, you're on your own. And you can find someone on your own. But can you trust it? Don't you want God to provide the person? No, you do. Trust me. So pray and be in the way and then God can lead. And if he does, then give him credit. Be thankful and let him know. When Eleazar recognized that Rebekah was the one, look at what he did in verse 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And don't forget to give thanks. Be thankful that what God is doing, it's a good thing. And being thankful and praying and, and giving him credit helps you stay on the right course and keep you focused where you need to keep focused, on the Lord and not so much on that other person because that's going to be the risk at that stage is that you focus on them more than you focus on the Lord. No, give the Lord credit and stay focused on him and then he'll lead your relationship in the way that it needs to go. And from there, the last step you need to make is, is just very simply the right choice. And we're going to see the right choice all the way down, starting in verse 53. So what happens, we're going to skip verses 29 through 52, because what happens there is they just go back to Rebecca's family, and they offer Eleazar a meal. But before he eats, he recounts the full story for them. So there's a lot of repetition in verses 29 through 52 from what we already know. So he tells them who he is, what his mission was, how he found Rebecca. Um, but then, starting in verse 53, here's what we read. We'll read verses 53 down through the end of the chapter. So stay with me. We're going to read a few verses here. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, and he and the men that were with them and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning. And he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days. At the least ten. After that she shall go. And he, again, Eleazar, said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Let's not, let's not wait. Let me go. And they said, We shall call the damsel, and inquire at her mouth. Verse 58. 
They called Rebecca and said unto, unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. Let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way under the well of Leharai, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field of the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah. She became his wife. And he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And in the ending to this story, we see the right choice when it comes to dating and, and leading into marriage. And, and first of all, before we really get there, I, I mentioned in the introduction, but I, but I want you to notice here that Re- Rebecca did have a choice. It, it was an arranged marriage, but she could have said no, right? Her family asked her in verse 58, and they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. So she absolutely had a choice, and she made a choice. And once she made the choice to marry Isaac, she made the right choice to view marriage the way that God designed. And this is what I'm talking about in this point. Because what we see with Isaac and Rebekah was that she left her family and cleaved under her husband. You see, they understood the results of marriage. She followed him, and he didn't follow her. They understood the roles in marriage. And they experienced true intimacy that resulted in comfort as God designed. He designed marriage to be something good. We talked about that week one with the rewards of marriage. And so that's the right choice we should all make if, if, as our dating relationship moves into marriage. And so for all you singles, you, you now have a path to guide you in dating. And if you meet the right person and decide to move into marriage, make the right choice, which is decide before you get married that you are going to live out your marriage according to the way that God designed. And if you just do that, you'll be saved from many headaches down the road and heartaches. And that right there is God's perfect plan for dating. You need the right counselor. You need to understand the right constraint, who not to date. You need to understand the right candidate, who to date. And you'll find that person as you find yourself on the right course. And when it comes to taking a dating relationship to the next level, you need to then make the right choice to do things God's way in the marriage relationship. And God lays this out for us in this way because it points us to something so much bigger than us and so much bigger than than a dating picture, so much bigger than a dating relationship, so much bigger than even Isaac and Rebecca. You see, dating and ultimately marriage pictures the relationship that we have with Christ, right? Many of us know that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And what we see in Genesis chapter 24 lays all of that out for us beautifully. God wants us to understand these important pictures from the beginning, from Genesis. So let me, let me lay it out for you, and then we'll be done. Many of you are already caught on to a lot of it, or you're already aware of it. But let me lay it out for everybody, and then we'll be done. We know from previous weeks that Isaac is one of the great types of Christ in the Bible. Right? Genesis 22 shows us that very clearly. He, as Abraham's only begotten son, was to be willingly offered as a sacrifice. And listen, so stay with me here. Because of that request from God, Isaac was dead to his father for three days. In picture, not, not, not literally. He was dead to his father in picture three days because God told Abraham to sacrifice his son and it took him three days to get to the place of sacrifice. We see that in Genesis 22, verses 3 and 4. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and sat on his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and, and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Right? He told him that his son was dead. So in his mind, for three days, he has a dead son. But he didn't have to die. So in picture, he was resurrected. We have the, a picture in Genesis 22 of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because God didn't make Abraham go through with it. Instead, he provided himself that lamb in Genesis 22.8. So in this story, if Isaac is a picture of Christ, who's Abraham a picture of? God the Father, of course. So we have Isaac as Christ. We have Abraham as God the Father. We've already seen who the picture of the Holy Spirit is. That's Eleazar. And Azar... Eleazar, the Holy Spirit, was tasked with finding a bride for Isaac. And he took part of his master's inheritance to give to the bride-to-be as an earnest or a down payment of all that was to come in the future. So who does Rebecca picture? The church. She pictures us. She's she was a Gentile bride, and we don't even have time. This is where we're just skimming over the surface. We don't have time to cover this. But don't miss things in your own study, like things like found in, in verse 10, with 10 camels, and 10 is the number of the Gentiles. You see the number 10 about four times in this, in this passage. You can run all that study on your own. But what else do we see with Rebecca? She was a virgin, a spouse to one husband, exactly as we are to be. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And she had room for him. She had room for Eleazar in her house. And she willingly chose Isaac when Eleazar came calling. Just as each and every single one of us have to do, it is the Holy Spirit's mission to find us. It is the Holy Spirit's mission to convict, of, convict us of our sin and point us to Christ. But it's completely up to us on whether we accept his offer and make room in our hearts for Christ or not. Wilt thou go with this man? We're not forced into that decision. And Rebecca believes on him and accepts Isaac in faith because she's never seen him. 
but she receives them. And once Rebecca receives them, she's adorned in jewels. Remember Genesis 24, 53, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebecca the same jewels that Christ longs to give us at the judgment seat of Christ. And then in verse 64, when she lifted up her eyes and finally saw her bridegroom in eventide, she lighted off her camel. She got off to meet him. And listen, in this dispensation, we look unto Jesus through the eyes of faith. But there is coming a day where our faith will be sight. And there's going to be a day in the eventide when the church aid comes to an end and we lift up our eyes and the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and the trump will resound and the Lord shall descend and we shall be with him forevermore. And we know that day is coming because it's in the picture Because if we go back to Genesis 22, we find something very interesting in verse 19 of that chapter. This is kind of the key to all of it. Genesis 22, 19. So we know the story of Genesis 22. Abraham and Isaac go up, Mount Moriah. They go up to to sacrifice Isaac, right? Then they don't have to. God himself provides a lamb. Now look at verse 19. So Abraham returned unto his young men. And they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. And this is important, right? The beginning of chapter 22, who left the young men? Abraham and Isaac. But as they return, only Isaac comes back. So at this point, Isaac is hidden from view until he is united with his bride. Two chapters later, his name is not mentioned anywhere in Genesis 23. Not from Genesis 22 to Genesis 22. 24. So in Genesis 22, we have the death in picture, the death, burial, and resurrection, and Christ being hid from physical view upon his ascension. In Genesis 23, we have the death of Sarah picturing the putting away of Israel for now, which happens in Acts chapter 7 in your Bible. And that opens up a brand new love story of a bride-to-be being put together over 2,000 years by the calling of the Holy Spirit. Someone she follows in faith, who for the time being is hid from sight until he comes into view some two chapters or two millennial days later. And listen, I wish I could describe that for you in in a way to just make you see the beauty and the awe of God's Word. I know I can't. I don't have the ability I wish I did, but, but I hope you know how amazing that is. How amazing this book is. To think that human authors could put that together? Come on. How dumb do you have to be? It's not even possible. This book is a supernatural book. No human could have thought of that. Listen, this book has the answers to everything. And it lays it out from the beginning. Can you see now why this is God's perfect plan for dating? It's because it involves God's perfect plan for humanity. 
a perfect plan for a perfect relationship that will last forever. And what more could we ask for? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. (coughs) 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 And as you're settling your hearts and, and just, you know, closing things up again, man, I just want you to use the time and just to, if, I know today was a different type of message, and it's very specific, and most of us in here aren't single or, or, or you know, not looking to get married, whatever the, whatever the case may be, but, but that, doesn't, that doesn't change the beauty and the majesty of God's Word and how it should rule over your life because of what it is, because the, who the author is. And so, man, for all you singles out there, man, listen, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that you find the right person because marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's design to fulfill the mission that he's given to all of us. It's not about us. It's not even about our, our, our human, selfish, fleshly desires and our happiness. It's about something so much better than that. And so I trust and I pray that you find the right person and that you put these, these principles that are biblical principles to use in your life. But for the rest of us, man, I just hope we see the majesty of God's word, that we pray for our kids, that we help them along the way, and that God will be glorified in their life and in their marriages and in our life and in our marriages and in this church. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for, again, who you are. We're so thankful for your word. And Lord, I pray that, that, that your Holy Spirit, even now, um, does his work in our heart as, as only you can. And Lord, to just draw us into a closer relationship with you, more in awe of your word every single day. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.